Thank you all so much for the information you're giving out today. And we do endorse and believe in this ministry. Um, you know, not to extend the story out, but, but certainly Gail came to me early on, and this is a ministry that she wanted to see active in our church. And, uh, and I couldn't be more behind it, honestly. And, uh, you know, no, we've talked about in our church banded discipleship. We've talked about small groups. Now we're talking about Stephen ministry. I don't care what it is. But the point is, the scripture says in Ephesians also, it says this. It says, submit yourselves one to another. If you're just out there on your own, that's, that's not the Christian life, friend. I don't know who you're following, but it's not Christ. Because Christ always puts us together. And Christ would have us to submit ourselves to one another in fear and so in reverence to him. All right, well, let's turn to the Word, and uh, as we're starting our sermon here, um, we're going to Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to begin uh, just with this, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe just this story, and that is, you know, when somebody is, is uh, good at cooking and they have you over, have you noticed that a lot of times they want to tell you uh, how they did it? Does that make sense? You know, in other words, if I cook for you, and I cook maybe you know, for 12 hours, a, a Boston butt, and we're going to shred it, and then we're going to eat it. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about uh, the process that that thing went through, you know, rubbing it with, with uh, mustard, and then sprinkling this on it, cooking it this way. Do, anybody ever had this experience, right? You had good food, and somebody wants to tell you, like, this is the way I made it, right? Well, most of the guests typically just want the food, right? They could care less. They're like, hey, man, um, when can I'm smelling it. Let's, let's get to the eating, right? Well, in a lot of ways, I always approach uh, a sermon in this, this sort of way, you know? Like, I've done all this work, and I, I've prepared this thing. It's been, it's been uh, maturing in me, and yet I only get to share just a little piece of it, you know, with you uh, today. And it's good, but the process is also good. And I say that to say this. We believe in the Word of God. It is food for us, and all of us should be preparing ourselves to receive it. Uh, it's not just me. It's not just my responsibility to give you the word of God, and that's the only thing you eat this week. It is your responsibility, which is why we've prompted and we've, we've uh, persuaded, we hope, you to memorize the scripture, to put it in your life, to but not only that, because if you just memorize it and come in here and listen to it, that's not good enough, is it? I mean, don't you remember James, right? You've got to live it out. It's got to actually come into the body and then be used as energy and calories for the mission at hand. And so with that in mind, and uh, I'm excited. Well, Bruce and I both are excited about Hebrews just because it's an amazing book. It's a very mature book. And so it's one that, that we have to really approach uh, with an understanding of the Old Testament, which is wonderful, because Jesus bases all of what he does on the Old Testament, and all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, and that's kind of the point of Hebrews. And so, uh, as we get into this, just remember, we are in a series, into the year, that is the Christian year, which will be, what, the third Sunday of November, will be the last Sunday of this uh, calendar year of the church, and so then we'll move into Advent, and all of that stuff will be sweeping in. But before that, here's what we're doing. We're starting a series that is, let's start with Jesus. Now, 
We're try to, we try to be biblical here in all that we do, right? Which is why we match up the, you know, if we're going to do a Stephen ministry ministry, then, hey, where is it in the Bible? Okay, well, it's there. Let's go, right? That's the way we do things. And so I want to do things the same way. Why are we saying, let's start with Jesus as a sermon title? Well, because the Bible does. And that was our verse from last week, wasn't it? Remember? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what God is that? It's the Son of God, we're told, right? Because John tells us, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Hebrews also begins the same way, doesn't it? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. You see these three uh, magnificent, marvelous beginnings of books, Genesis, John, and now Hebrews, all point to the same reality, and that is the reality of the preeminence, the superiority of Jesus Christ. And so, when we start with Jesus, we're being super biblical. (laughs) Um, And we must start with Jesus, but Jesus is never disconnected, friends, from his church. Boy, it got quiet then. That was supposed to be an amen point. Jesus is never disconnected from his body. Might I say it a different way? From his family that he heads. He is the head of the church. And those who are in the church are under his authority and under his leadership. They are the ones that are on the way with Jesus Christ. Now, you can't... I like your uh, feedback there. That was great. So, um, one can't follow Jesus without being part of a local church. Now, this is not an endorsement just for our church. As Jack has already said, the church is universal. But here's the thing, one can't be universally a part of the church if they're not locally a part of the church. That's impossible because the church is locally and universally expressed in all the various churches in Madison today, Huntsville and beyond this region. All right, so, you know, again, doesn't matter where per se, but all of us should be in a local expression of Christ's body, his family, his church, his ecclesia, his assembly. Which is why the writer of Hebrews will say, near the end of his book, he's going to say in another warning passage, because this is a warning passage as well that we're going to read today. He says this, there's two main, like, well, there's a lot of warnings in Hebrews, but these are two major ones that are transitional ones. He says, look, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, this was a congregation that was, as far as we know from the book itself, in persecution. They were in a time of testing. These were more than likely Jews who had converted to Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus Christ, who had left Judaism, but now were being persecuted, both by the Jews and the Roman world in which they found themselves. So, they were going through a time of testing. They were going through a time of suffering. They needed to be together, and this is one thing that the pastor here in Hebrews says because you know we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews but God does 
And the early church did, and so that's good enough for us. And so here's the thing. He is a pastor, and this is a sermon. We've already kind of said this about Hebrews, but it's extremely sermonic. It's not like the other epistles where Paul will say, I, Paul, and Timothy, we write to you, and grace be to you. It it doesn't begin that way. We just read the beginning. It's like the beginning of a sermon, which is why I began my sermon that way this morning, right? It's the beginning of a sermon. And yet it's an epistle. So it was a, it was a traveling sermon in this day. And so we, we need to hear the words of this pastor to us because, here's why, we're living in a Roman persecuted world. Uh, in fact, just this morning, I got a, I'm, in a, I'm in a group of, of church leaders and uh, one of them wrote out to, to our group, not in our denomination, these are multiple denominations, and he said, hey, one of our bishops was kidnapped uh, this morning, and we're considering paying ransom, you know. It's the 21st century, okay? This is one of their bishops, and they can't find him, and he's kidnapped. Uh, don't think that we live in an unpersecuted world. Now, I know the persecution in America is light, and yet we still are upset about it, and that's fine. It's okay to be upset about any sort of persecution. Uh, toward the church. But we live in a time of persecution. We live in a time of testing. Have you noticed? Just turn on the tube sometime or open up your phone and there's all kind of bad news that's flowing out. We're in a time of testing, friend. We need to hear this word from this pastor. So let's read it. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Notice these words here. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus, bless now the reading of your word and our hearing and obedience to it, we pray in your name. Amen. The word of God. Actually, in the Greek, this passage begins with living. So in other words... You can actually move around the sentence uh, and, and still have the same result. You can't really do that in English, but you can in Greek. And the first word we actually come to here in this sentence is living. And if the word of God is living, then that means it's active because living things are active, right? You know, when I'm, when I'm in the woods and I hear a noise and I look over somewhere, what am I looking for? I'm not looking for something to be stable. I'm looking for something to move, right? And when it moves, I move away from it. Makes me nervous, you know? 
In fact, this morning when I pulled up, I heard this weird noise coming from the woods. And what do I do? I just kind of look at the woods. Okay, not, nothing's moving. I guess we're okay. You know, we, we just, as animals, we're attuned to that, right? If something is living, then it's got to be active. It's not going to be dead. This is not a dead word. This is not to just be decoration in our homes. It's not to be put on the shelf ever. We're never going to be finished with it. You say, well, I've read the Bible. Well, good. Keep reading, friend. There's more. Because if God is living, and we, because he lives, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, that means this word is alive and it speaks to us from those who have written it down that are already dead. Because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Holy Bible. I use a simple equation in my class with, with like what the Bible is. The Holy Bible is holy people inspired by the Holy Spirit. That equals the holy books, which is what Bible means, you know. That's it. These prophets that even our pastor today says, hey, God used to speak just to the prophets. That was it. But now he's spoken, spoken clearly through his son, who has, again, superiority. Because the Bible points to God more accurately than any other text we have. Now, there's a lot written about God, trust me, myths and all sorts of stories and people writing about the Bible and all these kinds of things. Uh, there's no way to read it all. And you, you don't have to. That's the good news. We know where the truth resides and it is here in these words. This is the truth. But this truth points to a greater truth and that's a person. That's why we don't worship the Bible. If, we, if, if this was God, don't think the word of God is God. Not Not scripture. No, no, no. That means we put it up here and just worship it. That's not the way this works. The Bible points to God. That's why we have to kind of distinguish word of God and word of God. I like to talk about it this way. Little w, word of God, is the Bible. It's accurate. It is what we call infallible in its truth. In other words, it does not lead us astray on the truth of God. It's also inerrant, which is to say... There's no errors here. Now we can talk about the nuances of that and, and all of this, but the reality is this is the greatest document that we have as humans, period. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. And look, I have a whole you know, two or three hour lecture on this whole thing. I'm not going to give it to you now because I'll just say to you as Christians, we, this is the assumption is that Christians believe in the word of God. It is our rule of faith. It is our measuring stick. We don't come to it and tell it what to do. It reads us. Remember what James says? It's like a mirror. So put it up to your life. If you're not putting this mirror into your life and measuring it by these words, then you're controlling the text. That's a dangerous place to be, my friend. This is the word of God. But, little w, there's another word of God, isn't it? For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is what I call the capital W. And the term there really is logos, which is the idea of the unity behind all things philosophically. 
John is then taking that philosophical word and filling it with Christ and saying, he really is the unity of all things. Because he is, isn't he? All things were created through him and by him and for him. He was in the beginning with God. And we are predestined to be conformed to the image of who? His son, Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, the word of God comes to us in text and in person. In other words, God saw fit. He knows us well. He knows that really what we need is not someone to shove another book to us. Oh, if you're suffering, here, just read this. Sometimes when we're suffering, we can't read anything. Instead, he sends a person. In fact, he sends two divine persons. He sends his son, who gets the preeminence. But then the son, guess who he sends? One named the Comforter. The Holy Spirit of God. The power of God. The advocate. The term in Greek is actually paraclete, which is the idea of coming alongside us. Sound familiar? It's what Stephen Ministry is trying to emulate in our life. Those who are filled by the Spirit will act like the Spirit. And so... Ignatius of Loyola says, he's an early church father, he says, God extends his two hands to us. In the Son, the only begotten Son of the Father, and in the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And think of this, Christ is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit is the one who unifies and empowers and infills the church. So you see again, Christ and his church are one. This is what he prays, isn't it, in John 17? Pray that they would be one as we are one. Well, the word of God is living. It is active. It's also sharp. Notice these terms, sharper, piercing, dividing, discerning. You would think that the word of God is a gauntlet or some sword that is driven through enemies. But in our text here, the idea is more appropriate to think of this as a scalpel rather than a sledgehammer. In other words, this word is able to not destroy and shatter, but instead pierce to the very issue itself without destroying the heart. Follow me here. Think what it means here. And this is really good news. Is that no matter what sort of sin we're entangled in, no matter how cancerous sin has become in us, no matter how many, how it wrapped around our life we feel in bondage to sin, in bondage to the opposite of the way of God, against 
his creation, against his law, against his nature. No matter how eaten up we are, he can divide it out without destroying us. Doctors can't do that. I've seen cases where it was literally wrapped around so tightly and completely that there was no way to separate it from the spinal cord without separating the spinal cord. Well, the word of God can. It can pierce to that level. In other words, what he's saying is that, well, he says it now, and before him, no creature is hidden. All are naked and bare to the eyes of the one to whom we render an account. His word is meant to pierce us but not kill us, which is a good word. It should kill us. But instead, with the power of the Holy Spirit, he can come in and do surgery on us. Now, that doesn't mean that overnight we're going to recover, right? I mean, when the word of God truly pierces a heart, it hurts. When we see ourselves for who we are, when we see the nasty come out, he wants to take it and remove it, cut it away. This is the language of Paul. Cut it away, put it away, pluck it out, Jesus says. This is what he's trying to do with sin in our life. We have a tendency to nurture it, pet it, justify it, caress it, use it. He wants to kill it. He says to us, give it to me. Give it to me. Don't let it overtake you. It's at the door. Right out that door, he tells Cain. It's right outside your door. Here, you're safe. Here is a meeting place with God. But right off that door, it's crouching and it would have you. That's what he tells Cain. He says, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I can kill that thing. He doesn't allow him to do it. And it overtakes him and he kills his brother. We, like our first parents, want to hide sin. But this is not the way to destroy sin is by hiding it. It's not going to go away just because we put it away ourselves, down in ourselves. No, the heart is deceitful above all things. Notice, notice, our, um, notice the language here in Hebrews and then the language that's in our uh, collect for purity, which is our liturgy. Notice these words, you'll know them well. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known. And from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. That we may perfectly love you. That's that term complete. Teleos. And worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. You ought to memorize that prayer. This won't be the last time you'll need it. It won't be the last time I need it. His word sees all and exposes us for who we really are. 
The good news is the game's not over. You're still breathing, which means the surgeon's still at work. It means that he's ready to take this word, this sharp tool, and not destroy us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's willing to do that for us. This is why, here in our text, it says that we will give an account to him who sees. Many people take comfort in the fact that you don't judge me, God judges me. I've heard him say this as much, quite angrily at me. You don't judge me, who are you? Yeah, no, I want to say, uh, yeah, (laughs) Dude, I totally get it. I didn't make this up. I didn't make this up. I I would take out multiple things that bother me in here, that shame me. Can I be honest like that and be okay? But I have to treasure it. As the prophet was told, I have to eat it. And it tastes good at first. When it sets in, it becomes bitter. Have you ever experienced this with the Word of God? If you're not looking into the Word of God, you wouldn't. But you still have to give an account. That's kind of the point here that he's making. You are going to render an account to the one who sees everything. To be honest with you, you would rather have me as your judge... You say, I don't know, man, you're pretty critical, dude. Yeah, but I can't see everything. Sometimes I I give you the benefit of the doubt when in fact your heart is actually evil. Sometimes you give me the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe he's just, when my heart is evil. But there's one, Jesus Christ the righteous, who sees everything. You know, one of the things I'm teaching my children is is to confess sin. (laughs) And so I'll I'll ask them from time, hey, what were you doing? And you know how kids, nothing. You were doing something. What was it? I need to know. I'm your father. I need, like, my job is to manage what it is you're looking at, listening to, being told at school. As we heard in the song a minute ago, the voices of others teasing people, that goes, that hurts, doesn't it? To be made fun of? No, it's my job to ask these questions, but God knows. You can lie to me all you want. We, we can lie to each other. We can come in here and just be a bunch of hypocrites. Or we can confess our sins one to another so that we might be healed. I think this is why he says, let us hold fast our confession. What confession? For me, it's this confession. To whom shall we go? There is nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life, Jesus... 
Even if I wanted to go somewhere else, these are the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Who do you go to? The priest of this world? Trust me, there's plenty of priests of this world. There's plenty of prophets that are prophesying every day in the shows that we watch, in the media we consume, in the songs that we sing. And again, none of those things are bad in themselves. But they can be. If we're not on the way of Jesus Christ, then what way are we on? What marriage do we model after? What sort of friends and friendship do we have? Our favorite show? Our favorite music? Are we really going to take a cue from those prophets? This is the word of life. Everything must be filtered through this word, not my word. I'm, I'm pointing to this word. And by the way, I have to give an account. As a pastor, the scripture says, and as a teacher, on top of that, the scripture says, look, you'll be judged more severely because of your position, which is why I do labor over what it is I teach, what it is I believe. And I'll readily admit places where I'm like, man, I have no idea. And I hope everybody will take the words of Jesus seriously when he says, as you judge, so will you be judged. So go ahead, judge other people completely out of this world, right into hell. Judge all you want, but realize that that same strictness of judgment will be placed on others. I'm sorry, on yourself. That you place on others will be on yourself. I want to be gracious, but at the same time I will not and I refuse to stop speaking the words that are here that are clear. It's like what Mark Twain said, right? He, which, you know, he wasn't a Christian. But he said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me. It's the parts that I do understand that give me trepidation. We want to act like everything's not clear. But he's made it clear in his son. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be clear. And with his church, who he has nurtured, are you telling me that 2,000 years of, of people interpreting the scriptures, they're wrong and we're right? Like, that's a great insertion for laughter. We're right in the 21st. We're going to pontificate to all of these saints of God and tell them, no, 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 you're, you're wrong about this. Culturally speaking, you have no idea what we're going through. That's hogwash, friend. It's not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. It's of the priest of this world, the prophets of this world. Don't, don't listen. Don't come under the kingdom that is passing away. I'm convinced that generations will look back on ours and think, what was wrong with those people? Because we do the same with other generations, don't we? How could they have done that? How could they have believed that? We will give an account, every one of us. You won't give it to me, and I won't be giving it to you, but every one of us will stand before Christ. We can act like we didn't hear it. We can look at our phone, see the calls coming in Sunday after Sunday. 
missed call, missed call, missed call. Every single day when we should be in the Word, missed call, missed call, missed call. But it's right there on your phone. The phone of your life. And when you get to heaven, there's not going to be an excuse that's good enough. Oh, I was just tired. Oh, I was really busy. In other words, you're saying, oh, I put everything in my life before Jesus Christ. When Hebrews, the pastor tells us, no, he should be preeminent. That's not trite. It's not cute. It's a reality that if our whole world is around ourself or our kids or our family or our job or our education or our career or whatever it is, Christ says clearly, seek first the kingdom of God. And in fact, in the Greek it says, seek only the kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added. Now look, I like all the other things. I truly do. Like, I love all the other things, you know. I, like, I love watching TV, you know. Like, I got some shows that I watch, absolutely love them. You might not even approve of them, I don't know. Be scared to tell you, you know. I like them. They mean something to me. They speak something to me. But you know what means the most to me in my life? is Jesus Christ. Because he alone has saved me. He alone went to the cross for me. Those directors, those producers, they didn't do any of that for me. But Christ did. He did it for you. The pastor says, you've got to make him preeminent. He has to be first. And then comes others. Love God with all of your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Why do I treat God so poorly in my life? Part of it is because I don't believe. It really is a thing of unbelief, I'm convinced. It's like, why can we sit here and know that Christ has gone to the cross for us and then actually live the rest of this week doing whatever we want to do? How is that possible? How can we do... It's unbelief, friend. You can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's that we honestly don't believe that there is a living God that when we invoke his name in a room like this, he is here. No. It's like with children. Hey, we're going to be gone for a couple hours. Y'all clean up and do these things. And this happened to Justin and I all the time, you know. We get to play in our video games, absorbed in our own thing, and forget the word that our father gave to us. And then you hear all of a sudden the garage door open, and you're scrambling. And it's too late. You've been found out. Nothing has been done, and there's been disobedience. And what does he say when he comes in? Those famous words that parents always say, did you not hear me? Of course, I heard you. The little follicles in my ear were you know, doing their thing. Like it came in. But why do we say, did you not hear me? Is because, because I think, actually, we know Hebrew. <laughs> this is why uh, Bruce is actually taking Hebrew right now. That's why I pointed to him. But Shema, Shema, right, is, is here. Hero Israel, Lord our God, Lord is one God, right? You know, that whole Deuteronomy 6. Well, that first term is Shema, which is Hebrew, right, for hear. But it's not just hear. It's not just listen. 
It's listen and obey. In other words, if you don't obey, you didn't hear me. I think Christ would say to all of us, did you not hear me? Doesn't Jesus himself say, if you love me, then what? Just believe. Just believe in me. If you you love me, then just believe in me. And just go about your life and just keep believing in me. In your head, just like, as long as you believe that I actually did go to the cross, then you're good. Like, that's it. That's all there is. Just just believe all the way up to heaven because you can't do anything about your sin in your life. You can't do anything about how you treat your husband or your wife or your kids or your family or co-workers. You can't do anything about all that. Just just keep believing. It's all all mental anyway. It's all a mental process. There's no actually loving on somebody in their life. There's not any getting involved with anybody in their life. There's no submitting one to another or confessing one to another. It's all about just in your head. You Gnostic Buddhist heresy. No, if you love me, do what I said. Where did he say it? Right here. If you love me, keep my commandments. Where's his commandments? Right here. Not floating around in the air. I didn't make them up. You know, I've often thought, like, in preaching, it's it's so difficult because, like, you can't nuance everything, right? Just like when, you're, again, you're sitting down for that big meal, and it's like, hey, now the peas might have a little too much salt for you. Let me just explain why I did that, though. There's no time for that. And so, like, I wrote down the other week, shared this with Bruce, just like, in preaching, there's several things that, that ministers or prophets have options for, right? I can scare you, you know. Hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't do what he says. Which is true. Absolutely true. We do this with children, don't we? Don't touch the electrical outlet with that fork. You'll die. Right? Don't run out in the road. You'll die. Don't go your way. You'll die in your sins. For all eternity. That's Jesus says, I don't like that Jesus says eternal fire. He could have just said a fire that burns you up and then you're done. It's like, okay, cool. I'll just become a crisp. No. No, it's not. It's eternity. It's eternity. Well, I can also guilt you, you know, like make you feel bad. Well, look at all these people out here who need Christ, who need the light of Christ, who need the salt that he says we are sprinkled in their lives. And what do you do? You just sit there every week. You just do your own thing. Blah, blah. You know, I can, I can guilt you, right? Like that's another, that's another method, which the Bible certainly does that. If you've ever read the Bible, I feel pretty guilty. So I'm like, man, you know. And we do this with children, don't we? <clears throat> I come in and say, do you know how hard your mother worked to clean this place up? And you act like it's a pigsty. You're just throwing your stuff all around. You're disrespecting her, right? That's guilt. We should feel that. Or I can persuade you. You know, I might, I might say to one of my kids, I'm like, hey, um, you realize how this makes your mother feel, right? And she feel like uncared for because you just come in here and the house is pristine and all of a sudden it looks like somebody threw up academic books everywhere. And actually that's me, isn't it? <laughs> she hates my books lying around everywhere, but I don't know where else to put them, you know. They don't fit on the bookshelves. 
persuading is, is about motivating us, which the pastor does here. I mean, he's trying to motivate us to good works. That's what James was doing. Um, or I can captivate you. You know, this is a, a rhetorical tool, right? But the rhetorical tool here is more about culture. So it's having a jack come up and testify, right? Like we're, we're, we're practicing these things now. We're psychoanalyzing them at the moment. But, you know, somebody comes up and, and, and shares their heart. And that changes you. Why? Because it's peer pressure. That's why. It's a culture. It's a culture of love. It's a culture of care. It's like when you go to a football game, you're influenced just by what everybody else is doing. You know, if you go to a Saints game... I can almost guarantee you're going to be saying who that by the end of the game. Because everybody else is. And if you're with me, you're going to have a Saints jersey on. Because I've got an extra one that I carry with me. It's peer pressure, right? But it's a good peer pressure. We need that, don't we? Like, I need to hear the testimony of somebody that's struggling. Because sometimes I'm so wrapped up in my own struggles that I don't even know the struggles down the street. So we can be captivated by... A good peer pressure. Or I can teach you, which is my, you know, like that's my MO, you know. Like, oh, well, let's sit down and think about this for just a minute. Let me, let me show you what he's doing here. Now, you figure out the application, you know. <laughs> I'm not good at application, you know. Um, I just assume you already know if I've taught you that material, right? Like, it's pretty obvious what we need to do, you know. Uh, so I can spell it out for you. Maybe with an F. F. Or I can remove the barriers, you know, like, hey, what things prevent us from caring for one another? Or get rid of your TV and get rid of your phone. You know, you can do that. Or I can reward you somehow. I don't, this is not really helpful, but like incentivize you, you know. Hey, you're going to heaven if you do this. You're like, you're going to be with these people. You might as well start loving them. Like, if you don't like the people in the room, then you know what? Uh, sorry, but... Uh, we're kind of going to be together. Might as well start at some point. Incentivizing. But really what we do as preachers, as ministers, what the pastor of Hebrews is doing is just simply bringing us to Jesus. He starts with Jesus. I do want change in your life. I want transformation. I want transformation in my own life. But all these other rhetorical tools, they only take us so far. The guilt should lead us to Jesus. The shame should lead us to Jesus. The persuasion should lead us to Jesus. The captivation of culture and a culture of his kingdom should lead us to Jesus. Removing the barriers, we should see Jesus. Our reward is Jesus. If you're working for anything else, just stop. Stop the act. Nobody cares anyway. Truly. It's only hurting the church for us to act like we like God when we don't. Act like we love him when we obviously don't by our actions and signs. No, we need to go to him. Not to me. Not to anybody else. Before we first make Christ preeminent. And that's where care will happen. It's where, it's where our suffering will make sense is only in the face of the one who hung naked and exposed on a cross, dying with us in mind. 
as the writer of Hebrews will later say, don't trample on his blood. Don't, don't walk along his holy, precious blood that makes it possible to, for us to be one with God. No, this high priest, he sympathizes with us. He knows because he is a human. You say, why does God care about humans? You know, Psalm 8. Well, because he is one. That's why. He knows us. He knows when we have a stomach ache, a headache, all the aches. He knows. And yet, without sin, he's tempted in all the various ways that we're tempt- we were tempted. We are tempted, but without sin. Like our first parents were tempted to take the forbidden fruit, he doesn't. We think we get to take and decide what is good and evil. We don't. The knowledge of good and evil? No. We don't need knowledge of evil, friend. C.S. Lewis once said, we went, Jessica and I went to a little thing last night, an evening with C.S. Lewis. Um, this guy acting like he was C.S. Lewis, pretty cool. Um, I told Jessica what was going to happen before the whole thing began, but it's because I like C.S. Lewis and know his life. Um, C.S. Lewis, he said, we think that people who have gone and, you know, committed sexual immorality or done these things, they know what temptation is. Somebody that's went deep into sin, far away from God, man, they really know what temptation is. He says, no. They have no clue what temptation is. It's the one who has been tempted all their life with something and said no every single time. They know what temptation is. If we give in all the time, we have no clue what Jesus went through. You can say all day long, oh, he doesn't know what I'm tempted with. I mean, (laughs) he's not sinful. No, he knows more than us because he's preeminent. He's superior. But he's a high priest that does not look down upon us, but instead comes down to be with us. Friends, we have good news. We have good news to share. That's good news for all of us. Because when, when he's x-raying our life, let me just tell you, it embarrassed me until I was underneath the chair over here. If you knew the things I have thought about have, that I've done in my life, the sin that has come up and bubbled up out of nowhere, seemingly. Well, here's the end of the matter for us today. The final word is this. We're accountable for what we do. We're accountable for the words that we've heard today. The invitation that our Stephen ministers have given to us. Don't walk alone. Don't go hide. Don't go hide. Don't be our first parents. Let's have a different father. Not Adam. Not Adam. Not the line of Adam. But the son, Jesus Christ. Who comes from the father. Who then sends his Holy Spirit to us to forgive us and to transform us and to walk alongside us. How does he do this? Not just through mysticism, but instead through the hands and feet of the people in blue shirts, through the hands and feet of people like me, like Pastor Bruce, like our board of stewards, people that look just like us, broken vessels with hidden treasure in them. That is the church of Jesus Christ. That 
Those are the ones who have their head as Jesus, their superior brother, the good shepherd. So get right with him. We're all pointing to the same one. None of us have all the answers. No, Jesus is superior. He's preeminent. He's our all in all. And when we look into his face, the world fades away. So let's start with Jesus and then go out to be priests. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.